And in case you weren't listening, our orders have nothing to do with Starfleet regulation. Wait a minute. We're firing torpedoes at the Klingons? Regulations aside, this action is morally wrong. Regulations aside, pulling your ass out of a volcano is morally right. I didn't win any points for that. Oh, Jim, calm down. I'm not going to take ethics lessons from a robot. Reverting to name-calling suggests that you are defensive and therefore find my opinion valid. I wasn't asking for your opinion. Bones, get that thing off my face. Folks, welcome to the Man Cave Movie Review, the podcast that reviews the good, the bad, and the ugly of movies for men. This is episode 113, and today we're going to be talking about Star Trek Into Darkness. <clears throat> this uh, great and fantastic film stars Chris Pine, Zachary Quintus, Quinto, I'm sorry, Zoe, S- Zoe Saldana, thank you, Simon Pegg, and Benedict Cumberbatch, Cumberbatch, Cumberbatch. Does anybody have a normal name other than like Chris Pine? Okay. I'm Mr. Xenophobe. <laughs> okay. I'm, I, I'm not affiliated with this, this, this xenophobic, uh, whatever. It's not xenophobia. It's just get a normal name. Well, Peter right. Waller, he had a normal name. Yeah, but he was not on the list. All right. I am your host, Steve Michaels, and joining me is my very good and dear friend, Mark. He's dead, Jim. Slover. Hey, Ken. Yo. You know, if we synthesized a serum from Steve's alcohol-infused blood and gave it to you, you'd probably begin to feel homicidal, power-mad, despotic. I feel halfway like that already. <laughs> I don't think he needs my blood. <laughs> nice try, though, anyway. And uh, also joining us is our other very good dear friend, Ken. I'm giving her all she's got, Captain Roney. Uh, you've actually not contacted... Your Ken from your dimension. This is the Ken from the alternate timeline. Now, I cannot intervene to affect your fate. Your podcasting fate is yours to make on your own. I will stay on my own alternate timeline with my supermodel billionaire girlfriend who's making me a sandwich right now. (laughs) Uh, That would be the timeline of delusion and dementia. I don't know. I'm kind of liking that timeline. All right, folks, um, he promised he would be here, but he's late, as usual. Our other very good, de- <laughs> our other very good and dear friend, Jeff, you green-blooded, inhuman Muncie, is supposed to be here tonight. And at some point, he may actually pop in. Then again, he may not. Uh, so I may have to actually go and uh, revise my, uh, my weather forecast of the uh, meltdown and uh, shitstorm that was supposed to occur. Yeah, but his, anyway, his transwarp uh, is acting up tonight, I believe. That could be it. Well, because he's probably got a checkoff running the warp drive. Uh, all right, folks, we are going to be talking about Star Trek Into Darkness. This is the uh, second, the Star Trek reboot uh, movies. And um, uh, I don't know, guys. I mean, I, we've got a little bit of feedback from the... Um, you know, from some of our friends uh, on uh, on Facebook, yeah, I I don't know. I I've got two minds of the of the reboots of these movies, and I, I think we can talk about them. I'm, I I don't want to do too much of a compare and contrast, uh, particularly with this one because, you know, this one was basically supposed to be a reboot of Wrath of Khan, which is pretty much hallowed ground in the Star Trek uh, movie genre with all the Trek uh, Trekkers, I should say. They don't like to be called Trekkies. Well, so, not just them. I mean, us. I don't consider myself a Trekkie, but Wrath of Khan is a fine movie. 
Well, that's just it. I mean, I'm not a, I'm not a major Trek fan. I, I don't go to the conventions and that, but I pretty much grew up on the, uh, the syndicated versions because this thing pretty much, I think, ended, I, I might have been a year old when the, the original series ended, the, the, the Shatner, Nimoy, DeForest Kelly, uh, Walter Cannon group, uh, that was over, I, I was a year old, but I was watching them in syndicated versions, you know, as a little kid growing up. So, you know, these are the guys that I grew up with. And I guess my thing with these is I appreciate what they're trying to do. And I think in terms of all the special effects and everything, it, it's fantastic. They've done a very good job. I think the actors have been doing a very good job. And, and I'm going to talk a little bit in detail on several of them. But the first thing that just jumps out at me is who wrote this shit? I can't really talk too much about this one without bringing the other one in because there's a piece of trivia and I, you know, I'm just going to jump to it right, right off the bat because I'm going to assume that a lot of the, our listeners have seen this movie as well as the first one. And the, the problem here that I have is the whole timeline thing. And you know what? I think I deleted the whole, uh, <laughs> the trivia piece that I, Oh, here we go. Uh, here's the, here's the thing folks. And this is what I want to get to. Uh, according to JJ Abrams, the time travel alternate reality concept used in the previous film, Star Trek 2009 was a deliberate ploy to enable a reboot uh, for new sagas and films. The idea now that we are in an independent timeline allows us to use any of the ingredients from past or come up with brand new ones to make potential new stories. No, you didn't have to do that. If you were going to do that, then don't remake existing Star Trek movies. Thank you. There we go. Don't give me that line of bullshit. Yep. Because all you did was retread a classic into something that was hipster, Apple Store, Sorry, I'm just going to get it right out there. Train wreck of a plot. Yes. Overwritten on a very good movie. Yes. But if you're going to do it, do it. Don't tell us you're going to do it and then just reboot old Star Trek. Uh, all right, folks, we had to take a brief interlude there because our other very good and dear friend, Jeff, you green-blooded, inhuman Muncie, just showed up to the show. So he, he finally got in. He obviously got the warp drive working. So here he is. You know, Steve, thanks. Um, sorry I'm late. You know, I, uh, I have, I have pressing issues. I'm a man in demand. You know, what I really want to talk about tonight is I realize that, that this movie is dearly loved, but, uh, by, by our, by a lot of our listeners, I found out through Facebook and, um, and, and I, I felt that, uh, I would have to, temper my my response tonight but then then i as the week went on i realized that there's a certain voice out there of the people so to say that uh, was shared on facebook and i feel that it is my duty and responsibility tonight to represent that voice of this movie or what i like to term this steamy pile of shit well ah Sorry, just, just laying it out there right now. Well, you're probably laying out a little bit more harsh than some of us will, but uh, you're not too far off, I, I, I think. Well, and Mark, what you said earlier, I, I have to agree. If you're going to do what they said in that, um, you know, in that particular little trivia clip that I pulled out, yeah, 
don't pull the best, at least from that part of the Star Wars, you know, because Wrath of Khan from, you know, because that's the, of the the old guys that did it, that was the best one. Everybody agrees, you can't go wrong with that. So what they did is I think they just tried to piggyback off of that and say, oh, let's do this. And I'm just going to put it out there right off the bat and just say, I like the idea of the reboot. I like the idea that you're going to do a new franchise of Star uh, Star Trek with all these new guys are coming out They're They're pretty much fresh out of the Academy. They're just kind of getting their feet wet, moving out there. They didn't have to do the whole time war people going back in time, destroying Vulcan or, well, if you're going to destroy Vulcan, fine, but you know, forget the whole time warp thing. You don't need to have two Spocks. It, I mean, that's just like bizarre world. They could have made anything they wanted to. They didn't have to do this. That's what I don't understand. I mean, uh, Abrams Abrams thing just doesn't make sense. You didn't have to do any of this stuff. Can, can I throw in a comment I, that yes. we've touched on before? Hollywood writers today don't like anybody being the boss of them. They want to do what the hell they want to do. And if you hand them a successful franchise like Star Trek, well, they still want to do what they want to do, and the fact they got all this canon and background and everything else doesn't change the fact they're going to do what they want. And this lets them do what they want, and that's why they're doing it. And also, by letting them do this, it's an easy way to, in a lot of ways, unoriginally mine the familiar feel-good parts of the Star Trek series to rake in a boatload of money for themselves and everybody else involved. But Ken, is that is that what movies need or should be? I mean, it, it's what they, Hollywood studios need. They need profits. They're profit-making organizations. This is true for, for them. But is that what the audience needs? Because these movies are clearly made for us, the audience. I'm sorry. You're actually you're, you're right, Ken. They're not made for us. They are made for them to make money off of us. But I, I've I've told you all. I'm I am not a Star Trek fan. I, you know, I didn't really dig the the series when it was uh, in syndication when I was younger. I I didn't really dig the movies. I've seen them. It's just I just never got attached to it. But I, I feel that to a point, Hollywood just insults us as as viewers anymore. And it, they, they cheapen the product by rehashing stuff in an effort, I think, to, to do what you, you point out, which is to make money. And if it comes off as, as not being so offensive and what they expect us to take away from the movie, um, then that would be one thing. But when, when you just are putting stuff up there um, in, in hopes that it's going to play – um, and and do a disservice to th- everything that has come before it. That's why I'm kind of worried about Star Wars coming up, because I, I'm afraid that they're just they're they're wanting to restart it to restart it and make money, and at the same time they're going to trash the canon that has been laid out since the end of Return of the Jedi up to whatever we're going to be in 2016. I mean, this movie definitely made money. It was like the, the, the biggest grossing Star Trek movie ever. So I think they made the money. I don't know if they made the money on the backs of the, of the real true Star Trek fans. If it, if they did, I'm kind of surprised. Cause like I said, I'm not, I'm more of a Star Trek fan than, than Jeff is. I mean, I, I grew up on the syndicated ones. Like I said, it, you know, that series ended about a year, uh, after, um, year after I was born. 
but it, it's the Star Trek I grew up with because, you know, when you're a little kid, you know, there were seven channels and, you know, this was one of the things that was always playing, you know, Star Trek, Brady Bunch, Partridge Family. You know, this was it. I mean, this was stuff that I grew up on back in the 70s. So, I mean, this is what I was attached to. And then, you know, you had a couple, you know, the movies that were coming out, then you had TNG, which I, I got into, I thought was a pretty good offshoot. Uh, it didn't, it just started its own new thing. It didn't try to pull anything from the old stuff, which was cool. That's why it worked. Where it seems like what they're trying to do here is they're trying to have the best of both worlds. They're trying to say, oh, we're going to go off and do this whole new universe, but we're, we're still going to talk about some of these old guys. Well, no, you can't have it both ways. It's not working. At well, least they can. Well, and they least, are, and they will. But it doesn't work for me, and I guess that's the thing. It's not working for me in that respect. And like I said, it's one of those things where if you don't know the canon, you don't know the, the, the universe of it, I'll say, this is a great movie. But if you're like me and you already know about Star Trek and you already, you've already seen the original Wrath of Khan, you're sitting there going, I, I just, you got these mixed emotions. You're like, what, what's going on here? This isn't working for me. I mean, they've already, how are they ever going to bring up this guy again? Because they're, they're meeting Khan way, you know, way before they should. And how, how is it ever going to play out again? Because you have to assume that they're going to, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, it's very confusing. And I know it sounds confusing to people who have never seen Wrath of Khan and maybe have never seen this. So, you know, really don't listen to this show right now. Go watch Wrath of Khan. Go watch this. Come back and go, oh, yeah, now I know what you're talking about. So, I mean, those are just kind of my initial thoughts off of it. I want to talk a little bit more later about, you know, just, you know, the movie and the plot itself. But I, I knew this was going to happen for those of us who have been big fans of Star Wars or Star Wars. Here we go. <laughs> Lucas slipped there. Um, a big fan of the Star Trek universe. And it, it, I knew this, this whole conversation was going to occur. And I'm sure some of our listeners were, were expecting it. So, uh, bear with us. We will get to the, the meat and potatoes of the, uh, of the movie. But, you know, this is something that we just, we needed to talk about. It was, it was inevitable. Well, let me throw in just for sort of my two cents is I went and saw this theater with some friends. And while I sat there, I'm watching it. I'm thinking, well, cinematography is pretty good. Special effects are nice, visually impressive. And, you know, I, I'm, it's a stereotype with me, but if if a sci-fi movie is visually, you know, kind of cool, I'm okay. I mean, I'll watch it just for the visuals. I like the fact that they're sort of got these guys channeling old familiar characters. But having said all that, we get to the end and y'all, my friends were like, wasn't that awesome? And I'm going like, I didn't like it because of a lot of what we're saying. It's like, it just doesn't make sense. I don't like this alternate timeline and let's just pull this and that and mishmash these characters and bring this person in early. And I know what they're trying to do. My friends thought it was great. It turned me off. Uh, now, am I saying I hated it? No, but my thing that I'll just say and I'll shut up on this topic is what Hollywood is doing with Star Trek and Star Wars is they are letting these two series steal all the oxygen that would exist for somebody to actually come out and do something original. There's 
scores of good original sci-fi novels out there waiting to be mine, and who knows how many independent scripts, but they can't get a green light because why put something into something that's untested when we can just sock money into a Star Trek or a Star Wars movie and get a 35% return on our investment or something like that? That is what bothers me. Not that it's dumbing it down or anything else. It's preventing so many other stories from being told. I agree. Mark, you've been quiet. Well, I was just going to suggest before we went any further, you might want to arrange for the introduction of this movie. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Gentlemen, prepare yourselves. This one's going to be kind of fun. Uh, Deb, I think, went a little bit above and beyond the call of duty. Guys uh, and our listeners, this is the Man Cave Movie Review intro of this <clears throat> great and fantastic film. Trek into darkness. The crew of the USS Enterprise face destruction from internal and external enemies when they come face to face with their greatest adversary in this reboot of The Wrath of Khan. Damn it, man, I'm a doctor, not a podcaster. I will pay 500 quat loose for the woman with the voice. <laughs> 6,000 quat loose. 7,000 quat loose. Quark, sit down. <laughs> I'll also throw out, having said I was going to stop talking about it, this isn't, in no way to me is this a remake or a reboot of Wrath of Khan. Except for the fact it's got some dude running around whose name is Khan. It's got nothing to do with the original movie. Well, it, you're right, it doesn't. And, and just so you know, I wrote that whole intro thing. That's not off of I am db or any of that i you know i personally wrote that myself because all the other stuff was like all right this sucks so no it's not a true reboot but there's enough in this movie that they're trying to do a reboot but it's that oh you know to be honest with you i just thought of it mark what the hell was that one damn uh star trek the original star trek episode one where they were in the alternate universe mirror 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 which is a great Great movie, or great episode, one of the best. Yeah, it's one of the best episodes. It's almost kind of like that, where they're, I mean, it, it's not like there's the evil. Is that the one with bearded Spock? Yep. Yep. You want to talk about looking like Satan, good Lord. <laughs> All he needed was a tail. But it, it's it was kind of like that, where they were just, they were pulling characters, and I mean, there were parts of the movie where, um you know, again, spoilers where the, you know, where the ship is about to, you know, die and somebody has to sacrifice themselves and it's not who you think it is. I mean, there was just all those things that were going on there. And, and Ken, it's like you said, if you've not seen the Star Trek movies in the past, if you've not seen the series, you know, this is a good, this is a good sci-fi movie. It, it's entertaining. It's, um, it's good. If you haven't seen them, you miss a lot of the inside jokes. You miss hey, can them. I, can I borrow a prior podcast to compare this to? Yeah, sure. How is this for a uh, tendency? Going back to our review of, oh, shoot, my brain just went blank. Prometheus. Remember how we were saying, you know, if we'd gone to the movies, and this was like, Joe Blow, the new Hollywood dude, and his new movie, Prometheus, we would have gone like, yeah, that's a pretty good 
movie. It'd be okay. But it's the fact that it's, you know, Stanley Kubrick's long-awaited remake of Prometheus that just left us so cold. Sort of the same thing here. If this was, if they just had the same story, changed a few names, and it wasn't the Enterprise, it was some other name, we probably would have been okay. I would have been okay. All this negativity would have been gone. Would you agree? I I agree 100%. It goes back to what we were saying earlier. They're... They they want to do this alternate universe and do new stories, yet they're still pulling stuff from the old ones. Well, make up your mind, one or the other. If you're going to do new stuff, then do it. But but quit bringing Leonard Nimoy in there talking to himself as a as a young person, and it it just doesn't it just doesn't work. It doesn't make sense to me. And that's where and that's where these things start falling apart for me. I, I just. I don't know. It that that's a whole nother thing there that just it just drives me nuts because they're like I said, they're trying to capitalize on the old stuff, but still saying we're doing a new thing. Well you're not. Uh point of parliamentary procedure. Which movie are we talking about? In a darkness. Into the darkness? Yeah. Into darkness? Okay. Because I don't remember him talking to himself. I must have missed that part. Oh yeah, there's there's a scene where he actually where he contacts Spock. To, well, he contacts himself, his older self, to say, did you ever run across a guy named Khan? And you see Nimoy go, oh, shit. <laughs> you missed that part? I, that was towards the end of the movie, wasn't it? Very yeah. very much towards the end. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, by that point, I was done with the movie. Oh, is that when you had to go take crap? No, I, I'll tell you what. I, I was finding reasons to take craps during this movie. Um, but anyways, I'll get into that later. So, okay. So that was towards the end because I, I seriously checked out towards the end. I was just, I was done with it. Okay. So that's what, that's what you keep referencing. Okay. I'm sorry. I had to get that cleared up. I, I kept thinking, Oh my God, did I watch the wrong movie? Cause I swore we talked about into the darkness and I thought was, were we talking about the, the first reboot movie or the second one? Okay. All right. So I just want to make sure I watched the right movie. All right. Continue. Well, the first one, there was no reboot. It was just this movie that they, cobbled together but i mean this is a reboot i mean this is this is the new thing in hollywood is prequels isn't it this is a way for us to keep the franchise going and milking it for what it's worth by basically doing prequels of characters that we already know and we can see them in their heyday so it it is in fact rebooting the franchise it's a reboot of the franchise but this is the rebooting they're try- well, and maybe it's not. Maybe I'm not even using the right term. But like I said, when you're, they're they're pulling the same freaking dude from a movie from was it 82, 30 years ago, 32 years ago, and they're trying to do something with that. And to me, they're trying to reboot Wrath of Khan. That's the part that I really got frustrated with this movie. There's even established history there with Khan. I mean, the movies before this have established who Khan is, how he was involved with Kurt, mm-hmm. and and now we've come along and said that there's even a prequel to all of that bullshit. And, and it is because we're trying to throw out a, a, a well-known name, and we're trying to we, – we refuse to advance the agenda of this series. We want to keep – for some reason, they wanna, we want to – we want to hang our hat on this whole Khan thing to keep people that were – old school into it and still bring people into the new school version of 
the superheroes that these guys were on the Enterprise in their heyday. You know, we, I think we've kind of beat this, uh, we beat this horse to death. Um, and I don't think he's getting up. So what I want to do is just, uh, really kind of want to talk about some of the actors, not the actors themselves, but their portrayals of, you know, these classic Star Trek characters. And obviously you got Chris Pine who is, uh, trying to play, and I say trying to play, uh, James T. Kirk. And I, I guess, I guess for me, those are some big shoes to fill. I don't know how you're supposed to do it. Because you have this, at least I have always have this image of uh, Kirk, at least when you see him in, in the original Star Trek movies, you're just kind of under the impression that he is this already very well-experienced captain or, or semi-experienced captain where, where Chris Pine, I don't know, there's, I, I almost get this feeling of, I don't know, it's almost that 20, 20 something angst that I get out of him a little bit. I don't know. Did you guys feel that? Chris Pine as an actor is fine. Um, I think anybody who was going to take on the Kirk role, good luck with that. Um, that's not to take anything away from him. I think he does fine. But the material he's handed is this smirking, smarmy, I'm going to be the rebel without a cause. I'm always going to question authority. And I'm going to get away with it because I'm the coolest, hippest kid and the smartest kid in Starfleet. You know, and we've talked about this kind of stuff before. Really? In a military organization, you're going to pull that shit? Well, congratulations. You're on the garbage scow, ass end to nowhere. I hope you enjoy hauling garbage from the, from Jupiter to, uh, to IO because that's going to be your command. And, and, and that's, that's just, that's a, that's a trope of Hollywood, and I don't like that that's what they've decided to do with the Kirk character, because that wasn't Kirk. Kirk would break the rules after a fashion, but here it's just we go out of our way to be the smartest kid in the room and question authority, and I just find it tiresome. But that said, I think Chris Pine is fine in the role. It's the way they've decided they're going to reboot Kirk that I don't like at all. Okay. Ken, do you got any thoughts about him trying to play Kirk? I'm kind of like Mark. I think he's he, he's doing a good job with what he is given. Uh, he's obviously not a clone of William Shatner's James D. Kirk. Uh, but he's, you know, he, he's given it his best shot. But it is kind of annoying when I'm watching this. And you just keep going like, this guy, he should be, you know, stripped of his rank and busted and everything else because he just keeps breaking the rules and breaking the rules and breaking the rules and lying to his superiors and, you know, getting caught at it. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, I'm just a, like a mid-level management guy at a mid-level corporation. And if I pulled that stuff, I'd be on the street. As an actor, I think he's, I mean, he's, he does a little bit of channeling that the, but, He's just, an, in a lot of ways, he is kind of annoying. I, I will throw out two things. Uh, one, both in this movie and the other movie, they do, they do find an excuse to have him climb out of bed with some hot alien chick, you know, <laughs> next to him. Two. Which is, which two is, yeah, tr- two in this movie, which is with true tail. to the original. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I like that homage. And going back to what Mark said, I, I do have to say, I don't think I ever told you guys, but way back in the uh, 80s, 
I was with some guys, and we played the old Star Trek role-playing game. And in one of those sessions, my character wound up as navigation officer on a robot freighter, which is, okay, nobody said anything, but obviously it was a dire punishment for all my screw-ups that night because <laughs> a robot freighter doesn't need a navigator. Yeah. I, I'm just going to let you hang. Yeah. Okay. Well, and I guess what I get at is, like we said, I mean, it, it's got to be really tough to try to fill the shoes of Shatner trying to portray that persona. But there are a couple of people in this movie that I really want to talk about where they, I almost want to say, literally inhabited the roles. And yes. One of them was uh, Zachary Quinto, who played Spock. Uh, and Carl Urban, who played Bones. And, uh, I mean, I think Zachary Quinto did just a spot on job. V- very well done. I mean, just, you believe this is, this is young Spock. It's, that's him. I mean, that's, that's Leonard Nimoy at like 20 something. That's him. Carl yeah, that, Urban. That was the same in the first movie. That, you know, the, the predecessor to this movie and this movie, they both had these roles. And, you know, back then I was like, that's them. Yeah, right. totally, totally believable. Yeah. Now, the other one that is just downright eerie is Carl Urban playing Dr. McCoy. I don't know if Carl Urban went and did like a seance or something like that and got the Forrest Kelly to come and inhabit him, but it's, if you are a Star Trek fan from the old school, you know, the, the old series, and you see Carl Urban portraying Dr. McCoy, you actually kind of get goosebumps in a way because he nails it. I think Carl Urban sat and watched every Star Trek episode five times before he did this to get DeForest Kelly down because it's actually eerie down to the voice, the mannerisms, and even the look. You just get to the point where it's like, yeah, that's DeForest Kelly is a, is a young guy. And those, those are the only two that I would say truly inhabit the roles of their predecessors. I think everybody else is kind of doing their own thing. Jeff, what do you think about the, the actors in these roles? Um, I agree with Steve. As far as, I mean, the two actors that he pointed out, I thought they did a, you know, they did a great character study, um, you know, especially the voice inflections and also um, and delivery along with just, you know, some of the mannerisms. I mean, even the way that... Um, um, you know, bones walks, um, you know, his positioning, uh, it, it, they, they, the actors themselves really put a lot of effort and care to bring to the screen young versions of the, uh, of the characters that they're playing. And I agree with you. They're both great. I, and I think they're two of the better actors. And while he doesn't look like him, he kind of sounds like him. I'm a fan of him and I think he does a, he he has fun chewing scenery in every role he's in. Is I like Sam. I like Simon Pegg as Scotty. I mean, it, it, he takes a different twist on the Scotty character, a little more neurotic. But it, it, in a lot of ways, it's Simon Pegg playing Simon Pegg. But I like Simon Pegg, so that's why I can enjoy every scene he's in. That was the other guy I was going to talk about. I think he did a really good job of portraying that voice, but. And, and that's, I think what kind of bugged me and you kind of hit it, Mark, is it was Simon Pegg playing himself. It, it was just Simon Pegg 
playing. I, it's like the guy can't play a serious role because he was a little, and it's not even erotic. He was, he was playing too much of the comedic element in this movie. And if you look back in the old Star Trek movies, you know, Scotty wasn't the comedic element. I mean, in some episodes, yeah, I mean, what was the one where he had to get the guy shit-faced and drunk and they're in there drinking every freaking bottle of liquor that Scotty had? Yeah, that was kind of funny. But Scotty was not, you know, the humor of the show. And it was a little bit too much of Simon Pegg doing a really good job of playing, you know, James Doohan, but then too much Simon Pegg's coming out. So, and it's not to say that it ruined the show, but when you when you got guys like you know Zachary Quinto and Carl Urban just doing spot on performances of their characters, you know then you got Simon Pegg doing a little bit too much Simon Pegg for his character, and I, and like I said, I like it. It's fun, and if you never saw the Star Trek stuff, it's fun, but it it does kind of make you go. Huh. And then there's, uh, let me throw this one out there though, uh, Zoe, uh, Saldana. Did I say it right? I think you did. Zoe Saldana. There you go. Who is hot. That is the one character that they, I think, just said, go, go play something else. Because when you think about it, you know, in the old, the old ones, Uhura really was pretty much a robot. She really didn't have a whole lot of personality. And that's <laughs> not, it's not a knock on Nicole. What the hell is her name? Uh, Nichelle Nichols. Nichelle Nichols. It's not a knock on her. It was just the way I think her character was uh, written. It just, I mean, you know, Zoe's kind of playing a little bit of a badass. Uhura wasn't a badass in any of the shows. That's also a byproduct of, of the way movies are made now. We've got to have a shit-kicking female in every movie. And that's fine. It's just, and again, it's what I'm trying to get at is there's some characters that are playing their... They're, they're really inhabiting the characters that, you know, from the previous episodes. And there's others that are just pretty much reinventing theirs. Now, real quick, the one guy I want to mention last is the guy that played Chekhov. And that was Anton Yelchin. He's really good. He really actually sounded like Walter Koenig playing Chekhov. You find us a McCoy and we got an away team. <laughs> Tell you, I thought that dude was awesome. There was a guy that just did not get enough. Screen time. Well, actually, he got quite a bit in this one, but uh, uh, that guy was just great. And then there was John Cho, and he played Sulu, who got basically no screen time. But then again, too, too bad because I think he was. It would have been interesting to see if they'd done some more with this character because yeah, I like. I I think you know I'm not going to say he channels uh, Sulu like again maybe like Quinto does for Spock. But he does a good job of capturing the essence of Sulu. I mean, Sulu, in the original series, Sulu's a pretty serious guy with a few quirks, and so is this guy. Right. I, I think there's three other actors we need to touch on. Um, yep, I know who they are, and I'm leaving it up to you, Mark. Two of them are character actors. Uh, Bruce Greenwood, who plays Pike, who I think is a good character actor. You'll see him in a lot of stuff. And he does a solid job, and unfortunately they kill his character, which... It's like, really? Okay, fine. Let's kill him and wipe out half of San Francisco. Why don't we wipe out half of San Francisco, all of San Francisco and leave the guy alive? And, and the other is Peter Weller, who I, I'm a fan of Peter Weller, and the guy is also now a professor in ancient Roman history, and he plays the bad, the sneering bad guy. All he's missing is a snidely whiplash mustache 
I just, he is a good actor, and I just felt like he was wasted in this role by, again, the script, the material he was given, just wasted his talent. Um, and then the last guy, and feel free guys to hopscotch back on any of these guys, is Khan, Benedict Cumberbatch. Yes. Or whatever. I don't know how you guys feel, but there's only one con. And I felt like I was just the only thing missing from his portrayal. And I'm not saying he's a bad actor, but the only thing missing from his portrayal was him staring at from on the opposite side of his super duper protective cell that he can't get at anybody and staring at Kirk going, do you hear the lambs, James? I mean, it was just Silence of the Lambs kind of portrayal. And then you have Ricardo Montalban, who just knew how to choose scenery and be a bad guy. I didn't give a shit about Khan in this movie. See, and that's the thing. It's very difficult for those of us who, you know, saw Wrath of Khan with that old crew and the guy that, because, you know, the guy that was in Wrath of Khan, uh, Ricardo Montalban, who played Khan, was the same Khan from um, uh, uh, Spacey. So, I mean, there's, there's that history there. So it's very, very difficult to sit there and do this. And again, it goes back to that whole, well, this is a new timeline, but we're going to borrow this, this really cool dude from like 1965 and bring him over here. Well, no, no, because it's not the same guy. It's nothing like that dude. He doesn't look like him. He doesn't sound like him. It has nothing to do with him. I mean, you're just, you're just making, you're just throwing shite on the wall and hoping it sticks. It would have been better if he had had a mullet. Yes. And, and a, uh, prosthetic chest, chest. Yes. Well, they said that was his real chest. Yeah, I know it was. But here's the thing, and this is not a knock on Benedict Cumberbund Batch. I'm sorry. I keep, I can't say Cumberbund. That doesn't make sense to me. It's. I, I just picked my tux up at the uh, tailor today, and I can say Cumberbatch. Okay. Well, but did you get a vest, or did you get a Cumberbund with it? Mm. Cumberbund. Mm. Oh, it's some 1980s. Two reviews. If you didn't see it, I think he did a fine job. I think he's a pretty good actor. I thought he really put a lot of... Um, you know, emotion into this. He looked, I mean, he just looked good. I mean, he looks like he could be a real badass or a very evil person. I'm looking at his picture right now and he's actually kind of creepy looking. Um, he's very creepy looking. He is creepy looking. And I wish Steve that what I really wanted was for them to create some new mythos with him. I think it just would have maybe gone off better if they had established that this was, this was a villain or a misunderstood guy, you know, early on in the career. We've never talked about him because he never came back because he ends up dying before Kirk Meat reaches, you know, 35 or something. I wish we would have gone down that road with him because obviously we're not done with him, right? Because, well, we're not done with him no. um, <laughs> because he's con and he comes back two or three times in the future. But I wish they would have not gone down that road and just chosen a different story arc that it could have fun different things from but we didn't go down that road right all right guys let's move on and talk oh, oh, we, we, we cannot move on because in my opinion you know i was doing my research and one thing that 
I came across was there was a little bit of a controversy when this thing came out because some people were saying that the stripping down to her undies scene that Alice Eve did was gratuitous and unnecessary. And I'm going to say that anytime Alice Eve wants to do that in any movie, I think it's totally <laughs> vital to the plot. You know, I read that part and I was reading that thinking, okay, she stripped down to a, a, a pair of broadened panties that was pretty much nothing compared to what I see on the beach. Seriously? That, that was nothing. And it was like, like 2.1 seconds. I mean, you could barely pause it on the DVD. Trust me, I tried. And it I will say that to me, she was, I mean, I enjoyed her role just because she's a very attractive person and kind of fun to watch. Is a, it was a role, a logical role that like fit? No, this is kind of shoehorned in for effects, but you know, and it's also again, ripping off somebody from the original. Well, and part of it is, is that the reason they did that is because, you know, Kirk, it was just that whole lead up to, you know, Kirk kind of turned around when he saw her standing there. She's like, turn around. And you saw her wearing pretty much a bikini for like 2.1 seconds. I did time it. And <laughs> the thing was, is that for those of you who don't know, Carol Marcus is, I mean, he shacked up with her at some point and produced The Sun, which you see in Wrath of Khan, and then he dies in Search for Spock. And, this is an alternate timeline. They may never well, do the deed. Is it? Is it going to be an alternate timeline? And that's, see, we're deviating off because God knows what they're going to do. And just so you know, I've been checking out on IMDb, you know, like post-production of all the people that have been in this movie. And I don't see any Star Trek stuff. So I don't know. Are they done with this? Or are they kind of waiting? Because, you know, this was 2013. There's 2015. There's nothing out there. See, Steve, I, I contend that that whole quote-unquote controversy was just a publicity stunt, just to get more attention and some some other blurb in the media to keep this thing on the radar. Well, maybe because for you're right. It was it was hardly there. It was two and a half seconds. Yeah. And I, I don't even understand how it could even be an issue unless it was made by somebody inside to be an issue. Yeah. It's not like they showed a back shot of her with a thong. It was literally this front shot wearing. I, I've seen bathing suits cover less. Thank you. Or more. Wait a minute. No, I've seen yeah. bathing suits cover more. Yeah, that's what I want to say. All right. There is a sequel on its way. I haven't seen it. Well, it must uh, bottom, at the end of the uh, Wikipedia article, it says Star Trek Three is scheduled to be released in 2016 uh, without Abrams as director, but with Roberto Orchi as director. So we'll see. Not sure if that's going to be a good or bad thing. Well, yeah, uh, Abrams has to be doing the new Star Wars movie that he's got been signed up by Disney to do. There were so many crickets inserted there, it was deafening. Let's just talk about J.J. Abrams real quick. I'm not a fan. I'll just say pretty much everything I've seen him touch, it's just a hackneyed reboot of someone else's original work. I don't think he's... I dread what he's going to do to Star Wars just by the fact of what he's done with Star Trek. Mark, come on. You you are not giving him his due credit for Cloverfield. Like I said, 
he's a hack director who just takes somebody's other work and reinterprets it. Star Wars, the Star Wars sequel he's doing will feature 200% of the lens flare effects that you found in the original. Yes. Because in this, I started noticing it quickly and going, really? I mean, lens flare every time, every third time somebody turns around, there's a big flare on the screen. Well, the good thing about this is he can take all these effing Starfleet uniforms from this movie and just give them to the the reborn Empire that is fighting the Republic in the new Star Wars reboot. Because, my God, those, so many shots of those uniforms look like leftovers from from Star Wars in this movie. They were awful. All right, guys, I want to move on to a little bit of the trivia here. And what I did, because there's a ton of trivia on this, and what I wanted to do is I wanted to pull out the trivia that, for those of us who have seen the old Star Trek movies, excuse me, and the original series, there were references. And that's why I wanted to pull out. So these are specific to those. All right, number one, an in-joke reference is made to Simon Pegg when he's trying to open the bay doors during Kirk and Khan's boarding attempt. The security guard asks Scotty to show his other hand. It is common knowledge to Star Trek fans that James Doohan never revealed both hands in any of the original series because of the loss of one finger. I thought that was kind of neat. See, he's a little stuff like that. Uh, just going to put this one out there, guys, because I'm, I'm <clears throat> shocked. Shocked, I say. The highest grossing film of all the Star Trek movies. Really? Adjusted for inflation and all that? It doesn't say. It just says the highest grossing film. So, who knows? How much, how much did it gross? Um, oh, I didn't know there was going to be a test. Shit. Uh, it grossed according $228 to- $228 million. Yep, yep, it did good. The budget was $190 million estimated. Which so, is actually- So they made roughly, uh, 30, 30 million? 40, $38 million. Yeah. Which, I guess on your return on investment is not the greatest, but you still made a profit. Yeah, they made a profit. And then when you consider that they, the budget was, uh, 10 million less than, uh, Ron Howard wanted for, uh, Alamo. <laughs> just, just wanted to throw it out. Just, just, just saying. <laughs> okay, guys. Uh, we didn't talk about favorite scenes, but this is actually one of my favorite ones. There's an inside joke with Chekhov being asked to put on a red shirt by Kirk and Chekhov's less enthusiastic reaction. In a famous interview, Walter Koenig stated that being a part of Star Trek all those years was fantastic, as long as you didn't wear a red shirt, since most (laughs) of those who wore red shirts in, in Star Trek were almost always killed. All right, Carl Urban plays homage. To DeForest Kelly as he wears a pinky ring on his left hand, just as DeForest Kelly did in the original Star Trek series and six movies. Let's see. Uh, J.J. Abrams briefly considered casting William Shatner in a pivotal small role, but ultimately changed his mind. Well, thank God, because you really would have beeped it up. Uh, Okay, guys, I've read about this before and even before this movie came out. Um, as a matter of fact, I'm trying to remember, there was something that even Walter Koenig talked about um, in The Wrath of Khan, because Walter Koenig was not in, in, the, in the series during Space Seed. But when Wrath of Khan came out, Khan said, he goes, 
You, Mr. Chekhov, I never forget the face. Well, of course, you could have because you never saw the guy. He wasn't on the ship yet. But here we go. Chekhov's temporary posting to chief engineer is based on a long-running backstory and fan joke. When he was recognized in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan, from a supposed encounter in Star Trek Space Seed, 1967, it was explained Chekhov was assigned in the security department. During the Space Seed incident, Chekhov attempted to seal off engineering, um, and Kirk was so impressed by his bravery, he moved him to the bridge navigation. This also explained why Chekhov in the first three films was later a bridge weapons and tactical officer. So there you go. Reaching. Well, yeah. you got to have that backstory. And when you think about it, when you look at Wrath of Khan, and I think we talked about it, guys, when we did that uh, particular episode on the show, that was probably the most dialogue that Walter Koenig ever had, not only in any of the Star Trek uh, episodes, but in any of the Star Trek movies at all. I mean, he was like a major player in that movie. I love yes. the goggles. That was a good look for him. Yeah, I love the goggles. Look. Yeah. Mm. All right. Uh, for the opening sequence, a huge volcano was built complete with jets of flaming gas. The crew described this set as insanely hot. Can we just say that that opening sequence was a waste of frickin' money and time? That was one of the... We're going to put the Enterprise underwater. We're going to send a guy into a volcano to lance it. Sure what? we are. I hate to do this in the middle of the trivia... But I'm going to do it anyway, because here was one of the things that always honked me off about the whole Prime Directive. And they talked about it afterwards, you know, during the whole beat down by Admiral Pike. He said, I sent you there to observe and, you know, just kind of report back, not change their destiny. All right, if the Prime Directive, you're not supposed to interfere, then why was Spock so, well, if they see the ship, you're going to violate the Prime Directive. Well, you already violate it when you had to go there and, blow, you know, and, and seal off the volcano. I, I hated that whole prime directive thing. It pissed me off because it never made sense to me. Uh, in Star Trek VI, the undiscovered country, Uhura, and that was Nichelle Nichols, was unfamiliar with Klingon. During their covert mission to Klingon territory, the alternate reality, Uhura, this time was better fluent in the language while in Klingon space. And gentlemen... I really like Star Trek VI, except for the fact that, are you going to sit there and tell me that your arch enemy of the Federation, and there's not a single effing person on the Enterprise that can't speak their language, they obviously don't have a problem speaking English, yet you have no one on there, including your chief communications officer, that can't speak Klingon. You have to stand around there with a whole bunch of books. What a bullshit thing that was, and I'll just say no more. I've got to say that for being this ultra-militaristic warrior race, the Klingons have really bad homeland security. Thank you. <laughs> Planetary like, well, you know, we're, we, you know, we, we, we scour the spaceways and, you know, terrorize all neighbor civilizations, but, you know, any dude can just sort of wander into our home world and we won't even, you know, we'll eventually figure out they're there, but, like, they can do whatever they want. Hang around for a while, you know, kill some time, destroy the planet. Yep, pretty much. The other thing, real quick, while we're on the Klingons, worst Klingons ever. Neutered. It, these guys look like the rejects from the Uruk High. I, 
Mark? That is exactly what I thought. Thank you, Jeff. This thing was not... uh, Oh, my God. Is it fair to say the best Klingon was Christopher Lloyd? Yes. Yes. Why haven't we done that movie? We can, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go to town on that one. That was number three, right? Right. Oh, that's under Which one are you talking? Oh no, Star Christopher Trek Lloyd. Trek. Oh, oh, oh! I really will go to town on that one. You're talking Christopher Lee in Star Trek Six. No, I'm talking about um, Christopher Lee was not in Star Trek Six. You're thinking of um, Christopher Plummer or Plummer. Anyway, yeah, Klingons are horrible in this movie. All right, in one of the exchanges between McCoy and Kirk, McCoy says, are you out of your corn-fed mind? This is a reference to the fact that Kirk is from Iowa, as opposed to Nebraska, because they have corn there, too. As a matter of fact, I think they're called the Corn Huskers, but hey, what the hell do I know? And you know there's more than corn in Indiana. Mm, there's that. When calling down to the shuttle bay, Sula commands the coot... Ah, Jesus Christ. When calling down to the shuttle bay, Sulu commands the crew to prepare the transport captured during the mud incident last month. This is a reference to the same character who appeared in Star Trek, Mud's Woman, 1966, and Star Trek 1, Mud, 1967, as a rogue trader. So there you go. And those were great episodes, too. Okay. You know, they could do a much better Mud's Woman episode now because with CGI, they wouldn't just have to round up a couple spare twins. <laughs> right. They can have like y'all hundreds of Mud's women. <sighs> All right. Uh, this movie contains three references to Star Trek VI, the undiscovered country. Uhura uses her fluency in Klingon, quite contrary to her fumbling through a dictionary in the previous film. Uh, during the Kirk and Spock absence, Sulu is given command of the Enterprise. In the earlier film, he commands his own ship. Dr. McCoy complains that he's a doctor, not a torpedo technician. In the earlier film, he and Spock together modify a torpedo. So those are pretty neat. Like that. I mean, it's little stuff like that. That's if you're, if you're a fan of all those movies, those are little things that you'll pick up. So like when I was reading this, I mean, I saw that stuff when I was watching it. And it's like, that's, yeah, that's pretty cool. So. Anyway, that's, I mean, that's pretty much the trivia there, guys. I, you know, there's, there's a bunch of other stuff on there that's just kind of boring and, uh, really doesn't, uh, give, uh, you know, give much meat to the, uh, to the show. So, um, I don't know. I, I don't know if there's any final thoughts on the trivia. Moving on. So, uh, that's it, folks. We're done with trivia. We're going to move on to one of our favorite parts of the show. And that is brother, what you drinking? Uh, Muncie, since you have been, um, absent without leave for a while, uh, and tardy to this particular show, we're going to make you go first. Samuel Smith Oatmeal Stout. Done. It is good. It is tasty. It is well worth having in your refrigerator at all times. I detect the tone. Did I detect the tone? I'm, it's just, it's just a statement of fact, sir. Just a statement of fact. All right, Mark, what do you have? Ah, Sun King. Sun King, Sun King, Sun King. Do they sell that down there? No. When I was up last week, I bought some Sun King and brought it home. Oh, okay. I was going to say, nice. Were you up last week? Well, uh, Memorial Day weekend. I'm sorry, when we were all together. Was that last week? Yeah. Yes. Shut up. Good Lord, Muncie. I can remember that, and I drank three times as much as you did. Uh, I'm going to get I still had to carry it to six times. 
And I still had to carry you out of Ken's house. <laughs> I, I don't remember that, sir. I anyway, I never had this before. The popcorn pilsner. Oh, popcorn pilsner? Yeah. Never heard of it. It's, it's, yeah, they just started canning it. Delicious and crisp, they say. And it is. It's, uh, let's see, popcorn pilsner. Um, edition of Indiana Grown Real Select Popcorn popped by our friends that just pop in. So they, they infuse the pilsner with popcorn. And I gotta say, it's a, it's a tasty little pilsner for summertime. It's pretty good. Nice. Yeah, I mean, I still love the cream ale, but and nothing's going to take the place of a Weemac or a cream ale. But as a summer beer, you need to slug one down. You want something a little tasty? That popcorn pilsner is pretty good. Give it a try. Nice. All right, Ken, I'm not going to steal your thunder this time, so I'm going to just jump ahead of you. Hold on. I it's now time for Flashback Friday on Brother, What You Drinking? You know, after hearing last week's podcast, right when I heard all this, I thought, oh, this is great. I really liked it. And then at the end of it, I thought, you know what? I'm going to dub this new intro the summer of shit. No, <laughs> go. go, Steve. No, go. This, is, this is Flashback Friday. <laughs> the summer of shit. The summer of shit. And, uh, guys, I'm, I am knocking back. I can't believe I actually found this. Uh, n- not only found it, but found it in 16 fluid ounces. <laughs> <laughs> Fluid being the operative word. <laughs> Guys, I am uh, drinking a beer that is clear and bright as the mountain air. Am <laughs> refreshing? No. Oh, oh, no, it's, no. Uh, it's bush beer. Oh, god damn it, Steve! Oh. You know, my fraternity president had a had a, just had a great motto, and his motto was, "Life is too short to drink cheap beer." You know, here's the thing about this stuff. I, lay it, lay it I, on. I don't know what the alcohol content is. I <laughs> two. It's two. <laughs> to be honest with you, it's either that or my liver is really dying because it's it's, it's kicking my ass right now. I well, considering I'm down to my no, I'm on my fifth one, and I mean, it's give me a little bit of a buzz, guys. It's uh, uh, it doesn't taste as good as Pabst. Um, <laughs> You just. Oh, God. Well, at least you're comparing it with the right type of piss water. Hey, I'm telling you, Paps is top shelf. Oh, my God. I, I started with the top shelf. I moved my way down. Like Ooh. I said, I just wanted to do it. I wanted to do a flashback Friday because, you know, there was a time uh, when I was, uh, you know, growing up and even as a teenager, even when I was in college. I mean, you didn't have the uh, the microbrews. I mean, I mean, I remember drinking, you know, Bush. That sounded really bad, didn't it? <laughs> I meant the beer. Oh. So anyway, I I can't wait till you decide to favor us with Little King as one night. I Mark, I thought that's where we were going. I thought that's where we were going last week was Little Kings. I'm in my car driving, going, "It's it is Little Kings." Oh, so it goes I back to my Little college Kings oh, back in the day. Can just. Oh. I was in college because it was cheap and I could get a lot of it. That didn't mean it was good. 
But it's a sign of us growing up, gentlemen. That's why we drink good beer. And I'm sorry, we're detracting from Flashback Friday. Steve, take it away with your water. I mean, your drink. No, I just wanted to say that it's um, it's not that good. <laughs> it's, I mean, really, this bush beer is pretty shitty. Well, this is... it, well no kidding, Steve. <laughs> that well, well thought out, measured analysis. Well, no shit. It's yeah. not that good. Well, yeah. there, there you have it, folks. <laughs> the grand proclamation has been made. Yeah. It's this as if we had any doubt, but it's not been confirmed. Yeah. Where did you find that shite? <laughs> oh man. Are you actually gonna choke that crap down? All of it? Well, I said I'm on my fifth one. I mean, I'm not gonna let it go to waste. I mean, it's not like it's like burning my throat. It's not like, you know, holy water on a vampire. Yeah, it's just tomorrow morning. <laughs> I probably would. I probably would, like, pour it on Mark, and he would just, like, go, I'm melting! <laughs> well, you know, it's 28% formaldehyde, so you will be well-preserved. I'm actually shocked that I found it myself. When I went to this liquor store, it was, like, one where they had the bulletproof glass around the thing, and I, <laughs> what what the selection of shit beer was, it was pretty poor. Did you have to blow the dust off the off the top before you <laughs> no but I actually to be honest with you I actually had to move a whole bunch of beer cartons that they had stacked up against that particular door I'm like how am I supposed to get the door open I had to like move they had beer sta- beer cartons stacked up I'm like obviously nobody's been in this particular uh, thing as far as I know this stuff is probably from 1979 I have no idea you risked your life for that I, I have to give you some credit there well I did when I walked into this particular liquor store, it's like from the movies when you walk in the, in the record skips and everybody kind of stops and looks at you. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty much the uh, the reception that I got. If you'd brought the proprietor some cheese whiz and a can. You got a cheese whiz, boy? Cheese whiz and a can. Oh, my God. So anyway, that's what I'm drinking, guys, and that's uh, I'm going to finish these off, and uh, then I'm going to go. Uh, well, I so. can't wait till we find out next week, Steve, which you confirm for us is some shitty beer. Well, no, are you going to be around next week? Oh, I, that's right, you're I, not. I, oh, sing. Well, here's sing. here's a question I've got for you guys, and that is, how many of these crappy beers of the '70s are still around where he can bring them around and try them? I saw a few that were still uh, sitting in this uh, dusty uh, beer cooler, and there's not that many left. So, I mean, if they're still, like, uh, selling Old Style or Strohs and uh, Falstaff, let me know, because I'll, I'll go find them. I mean, I'm not going to drive out of state, but I might. this might be a really short uh, summer shitty beer flashback Friday thing. So, <laughs> All right, folks, that's what I'm sacrificing myself today for the uh, flashback Friday and my little bit of nostalgia, <clears throat> although nostalgia, I don't think I ever drank bush beer even then. I think my dad even looked down on this, and he was a Pabst drinker, so go figure. All right, moving on. It's now time for Catching Up with Ken. My darling, I can't give up your love, All right, Ken, what do you got? Last week, a uh, big holiday weekend, I spent Saturday hiking down in Brown County, which was a whole lot of fun. Uh, not a lot of drinking, but a little bit uh, afterwards. 
Uh, Sunday, I had a bunch of degenerates reprobates over to my home. A uh, bunch of drunken buffoons. Uh, luckily, nothing was damaged. But I uh, had a good time. Again, obviously, I'm talking about these guys and others. Had a bunch of friends over. We went to the local pizzeria, drank a bunch of booze, played some games, had a good time. Uh, you guys might have noticed that towards the end, I was sort of saying, eh, let's just wrap this up and move on. And I'm not going to name names, but a certain podcast host was four sheets to the wind and it was taking him like 10 times normal length of time to do a move. So it's like, yeah, let's just wrap this up. I'm not going to say I'm playing this game till 4 a.m. God, it, it, it felt like the last time we played that game, we had to end up reading the cards and doing the moves for him. I'm not going to say anything. I'm not going to say that I, I'm not going to say that I called that early in the week, but I called that early in the week. Yeah, you, you did. You did. Jeff, do I have your sunglasses here? No. Hey, somebody left a, a pair of sunglasses. Nice sunglasses. My eyes are so pretty, I don't need anything covering them up. Okay. I, I was actually up in Peru, Indiana today, talking to the uh, agent I was meeting with and said, boy, I hope somebody back in Indy does something tonight, because otherwise it's just a boring night for me. And looked on Facebook, and sure enough, one of my friends said, we're getting together at the distillery, which is where I got together last week. Only last week I organized it. This week a girl I know organized another outing out on their nice patio. And so we hung out there and had food and drinks and everything. And then had to bail out. That's my week. Short four-day week and uh, not much else going on. Uh, just for the record, ladies and gentlemen, every time I start kicking everybody's ass in Firefly, they always accuse me of being the drunken hot and tot and say, game's over. Get Michael's home. <laughs> He's he's ruining everything. It's, we're going to be here all night. It's when we were picking you up off of the table and the drool we had to clean up from from I don't know like oh, three or four shots. Was colored bad and like stripped the varnish off it. This is this is true. I just remember hauling you out in a fireman's carry out the front door. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, we, we also got to say a certain. Reverend Skaggs was there, and he was the image of sobriety compared to you. That's because he didn't drink anything. That's true. <laughs> Except his 64-ounce <laughs> Mountain Dew or something. No, 164-ounce, I think. The one he had, to, <laughs> yeah. he, had to, he had to bring it in on a hand cart. The Kego Coke. <laughs> Kego Coke. Okay, folks, that is it with uh, Brother What You Drinking. So we are going to move on to clips, our favorite part of the show. And guys, I got a bunch here, so I'm going to have to kind of modify because otherwise we'll be here all night. This is Captain Kirk getting dressed down by Admiral Pike. So tell me what you did wrong. What's the lesson to be learned here? Never trust a Vulcan. So you can't even answer the question. You lied on an official report. So there you go. He's already being a snarky little punk. Uh, like this part, Mark. There you go. The first time I found he was in a dive like this. Remember that? Got your ass handed to you. No, I didn't. You don't? No, that's not what happened. That was an epic beating. No, it wasn't. You had napkins hanging out of your nose. <laughs> Best line in the movie. Nah, there's there's some better ones, but I do like the, I, because he did. He had these, like, big-ass uh, napkins. 
hanging out of his nose. All right, here is where you hear Simon Pegg doing Scotty. Mr. Scott, I understand your concerns, but we need these torpedoes on board. Due respect, sir, but photon torpedoes run on fuel. Now, I can't detect the type of fuel that's in the compartments on these torpedoes because it's shielded. Now, I asked for the specifications, but he said... It's classified. It's classified. <laughs> and it's just the thing where he, like, points at the guy behind him. He says it's... And the guy goes, it's classified. You got to see the scene. It's great. Simon Pegg, he's fun to watch, but it, it's it's hard to picture him as Scotty. I guess maybe, and maybe that's it. Maybe it's like the young Scotty. He's still kind of a, I don't know, a little bit more humorous. Maybe as he got older, he lost his humor. So I've got to say one thing about Scotty, which bugged me, which is at the most action-packed, adrenaline-charged part of the climax, Scotty has one job and one job only. Point your phaser at the inert dude on the floor and shoot him if he moves. Yep. I think it's too distracted to do it. What the hell? Yeah, that's <laughs> that's the classic thing. It's like, you know what, this guy's superhuman. Back up 10 feet, don't take your eyes off of him. Well, just keep shooting him. Yeah. Yeah, I would have hit him a second time. It's a stunt. I would have just hit him every five seconds. Recycle. Yeah. Stay down, boy. Don't get yeah. up. Okay, here, I call this red shirt. Mr. Chekhov. You've been shadowing Mr. Scott. You are familiar with the engineering systems of your ship. Affirmative, sir. Good. You're my new chief. Go put on the red shirt. And, folks, you got to see the expression on Chekhov's face. It's great. All right, uh, let's see, number seven. We're, We're Spock. Here, Captain. You're coming with me to Kronos. Lieutenant, how's your Klingon? It's rusty, but it's good. Good, you're coming too. This isn't going to be a problem, is it? You two working together? Absolutely not. Unclear. Because <laughs> they got a thing going on. Yeah, there, yeah, there's this whole Uhura-Spock romance thing going. It's, it's kind of creepy in a way. It just irritates me. And I, you know, I'll just say this. I've known women who complain about you know the men in their lives being remote and cold and emotionally unavailable and all that kind of stuff. Given that, why would you even look at a Spock? I mean... I mean, the guy's, he's, he's alien. He's not even, uh, ah! How's it's, that again, Ken? Ah! I think actually what Ken was really trying to say was this. Ah? Yeah, close to it. Okay. All right, uh, next one. Jim, you're not actually going down there, are you? You don't rob a bank when a getaway car is a flat tire. <laughs> That's Carl Urban playing DeForest Kelly as McCoy. Here we go. For those of us who have watched all the old Star Trek ones from back in the day, this is a classic line. And there's a little bit of an inside joke. Jim, wait. He just sat that man down at a high-stakes poker game with no cards and told him to bluff. Now, soon as a good man when he is no captain. And for the next two hours, he is. And enough of the metaphors, all right? It's an order. I just think that's enough with the metaphors because that is such a callback from the old series. <laughs> that was pretty well done. I mean, it's, it, and that was the thing. It's done throughout the first one. There's a bunch that I didn't even pick up in this one. You know, and they beat it to death. And then finally he just says, enough with the metaphors. Oh gosh. All right. And I'm not the only one who's upset with you. The captain is too. Well, no, no, no. Don't drag me into this. 
She is right. Your suggestion that I do not care about dying is incorrect. A sentient being's optimal chance at maximizing their utility is a long and prosperous life. Great. Not exactly a love song, Spock. <laughs> I couldn't have said it better. I'll tell you what, I think, I mean, some of the writing in this is really good. I really enjoyed a lot of that back and forth. It, it's the plot that pisses me off, but we've already talked about that. So we're going to move on. Uh, let's see. I think I, I call this one con. This is might be the first time we heard from, uh, uh, Cumberbun, Cumberbatch. God, I, I, I can't say it. Captain, you're going to punch me again over and over till your arm weakens. Clearly you want to, so tell me. Why did you allow me to live? We all make mistakes. No. I surrender to you because, despite your attempt to convince me otherwise, you seem to have a conscience, Mr. Kirk. When you look at uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, that voice doesn't match that face. You know where else you heard that voice? That voice, when you hear it, and you look at him, you're like, you know, that, that face and that body should not be able to project that kind of voice, but... If you watch The Hobbit 2, The Desolation of Smog. Oh, it's the dragon. There you go. Dude plays plays the voice of Smog. That's pretty Uh, awesome. Give this guy some props. The guy's got some pipes. All right, here. I call this one Scottish Drunk. Scotty, it's Kirk. Oh, well, now. If I wasn't Captain James Tiberius Perfect here. Yeah, I called him Perfect here. Where are you? Where are you? Are you drunk? What I do in my private time is my business, Jim. <laughs> that was like one of my favorite scenes. <laughs> James Tiberius perfect hair. <laughs> I thought that was awesome. <laughs> I think I'm more amused with your amusement of it. I just, I, I mean, just, all, I hope you all die. <laughs> really? I, you guys didn't think that was funny? I, I just, I just, I just got, got a kick out of you getting the kick out of it. That was very cute. It's sort of like the throwback to the 3D chess of the original series that you're amused by he's amused that he's amused. <laughs> you know, and I'm not talking after the rest of this, so here we go. <laughs> Are you out of your corn-fed mind? You're not actually going to listen to this guy. He killed Pike. He almost killed you. And now you think it's a good idea to pop open a torpedo because he dared you to. Why did he save our lives, Bronze? The doctor does have a point, Captain. Don't agree with me, Spock. It makes me very uncomfortable. You know... There's not enough character development, and there's some solid actors here, and they could have had a good character development story with a plot built around these characters. But no, we have a few vignettes and snippets of this, and then we just keep throwing stuff at you constantly. So don't think about we don't We do not want to give you time to think about the plot because there is none. It's a train wreck. So we just keep throwing stuff at you, which is real unfortunate because you've got some some people who are doing a very solid job. And if they had a better script, it would be an interesting interplay, which was what made Star Trek, the better Star Trek shows, good, was the character interaction. Yeah, but how, how much character development can you do when you're dealing with characters that you deliberately pick because they're already pretty well-developed characters? Well, but if you have a good story, you can enjoy the characters being inter- inhabiting the story. And there's no story here. All right, next one. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. An Arabic proverb attributed to a prince who was betrayed and decapitated by his own subjects. Uh, still, it's a hell of a quote. I think part of it is is that the guy that played Spock, um, Zachary Quinto, Quintos, Quintus, screw it. 
he was, I think he just really did a good job because that was the classic thing that Spock would do. You know, Kirk would say some, you know, he would make some proverb and then boom, Spock would be giving you the backstory about that and why that particular quote wouldn't have worked out here. It's like, man, Spock just, you're ruining the whole thing. You're ruining the mood, buddy. Ruining the mood. My <laughs> God, man. Harshing my mellow. Yeah. Last part. Dr. McCoy, you inadvertently activated a torpedo. Could you replicate the process? Why the hell would I want to do that? Can you or can you not? Damn it, man. I'm a doctor, not a torpedo technician. Class. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> okay, folks, you know, we're just... We're, we're, we were... <laughs> All right, we're going to move on to the uh because we're we're just we're just dying here. All right, to the man cave movie review checklist. All right, number 1. <laughs> Did anyone jump out of a window? Hell, half the freaking crew got blown out of the Enterprise with glass and steel and plasma coils. All right, so we'll call that a big yes. Let's see, number 2. Those weren't windows, those are just but there were windows on the Enterprise, though, so, you know. The window, somebody went through a window. Or a portal. Or a portal. Yep. If you want him, come and claim him. Was there a Liv Tyler role in the movie? Well, you, you, you had to have Ahura, right? I mean, you had oh, to have... Oh, shit, Sherlock. So, even though she, I find her completely irrelevant. Um, what about the blonde? Was she relevant? Well, if you're going to bring in the whole Khan universe, then yeah, she's extremely relevant. But is Khan relevant in this story? I got to go with Leonard Nimoy. I mean, I think he's the irrelevant female lead in this movie. Holy Christ. (laughs) Well, I guess I missed that. I can't really speak to it, so. I think, you know, April Eve's, uh, Marcus character was, like Steve said, she's necessary for the, for whatever they're doing. Now, what relevance does she have to the, the storyline or anything? Not much. I mean, okay, except for the name. I mean, there's no real relevance. But in terms of what the story is, they wrote it. Yeah, I guess she fits. I'm not going to say she's irrelevant. Okay. The two hot alien chicks with tails or whatever that were in Kirk's bed. I don't know about that, but that's probably necessary too. Well, that just sticks with the whole mythos of James T. Kirk. Yeah, I was fine with them. Yeah. Right. Yeah, they were on there for what four seconds, right? Longer, longer than the bikini scene. Four point four. Thank, thanks, Steve. All right, next one. Could the female role be better played by Tony Katane? Well, the female role would have to have been. Um, well, you could either have her play uh, uh, Carol Marcus, or just like one of the you know roaming uh, hot babes with a you know, miniskirt. Tawny Katane in the day in a Star Trek miniskirt would be fine. Fine being an understatement. Yes, I agree with you. Since we have no other uh, uh, votes from the uh, the cheap seats, we'll go on to the next part of the Man Cave Movie Review Checklist. Was there a montage in this movie? No. There's not a montage. I didn't see one either. No. No. You would have thought there might have been one here, but there wasn't. 
All right, last and certainly not least. And so it begins. Was there a Babylon 5 reference in this movie, Jeff? Um, no. No shit. All the crew is, is really too young to have probably have been in it. I mean, you know, Greenwood and Weller would be of age, but that's really about it. Yeah, you're so, right. So, I mean, you know, the, the, most, of this, most of this group is way too young, and uh, and the older guys, I mean, you know, I, I don't think Peter Weller was in it. Um, no, I don't think Chris Greenwood was. I saw some stuff that Peter Weller was in some Star Trek episodes. I don't remember which one. I, I'm talking like the, the newer uh, Star Trek, like uh, yeah, like Deep Space or Voyager or something like that. So, um, so yeah, I, well, actually, I didn't look so I, because I knew you were going to be here. And I was at one point I was like, oh crap, I'm gonna have to start digging out the uh, the archives here because Muncie's uh, you know his I, warp, I, his warp drive crapped out. I, <laughs> I, I was I was detained. Yeah. When you were detained, were handcuffs involved or? No, no, it was uh, it was uh, wife aggro. Oh. Ooh, wife aggro. Did you feign death? <laughs> I stumbled down the stairs so I couldn't get up. <laughs> so you just got I'm just, I'm just going to stay down here. Just got to feign death, dude. Oh, gosh. All right, folks, that is it with the Man Cave Movie Review Checklist. We're going to go on to the Man Cave Movie Review of this great <clears throat> and fantastic film. I don't know. Who wants to take it? I mean, I'm up for it if you guys don't want it. Punt. Go, punt. Steve, go. Oh, uh, there's fumbles. There's a punt. Um by all means. Got a Slover's doing a quarterback sneak over there. All right, guys, I've got two reviews of this movie. If you're a fan of, or, if, you know, if you're part of the fandom of Star Trek and you've seen all the old ones, you're not going to like this. I mean, you're going to like aspects of it. I think some of the acting is pretty good if you want to see, you know, some of the inside jokes and stuff like that. Uh, special effects are fantastic, but along with the very first one and I, I know we're not I'm not doing a compare and contrast but they they have so foobarred the storyline and the timeline it's just really hard to look at this as part of the Star Trek genre and I think the thing of it is it's not like Star Trek Next Generation or Voyager or Deep Space 9 where they took completely different characters and started a whole new offshoot what they're doing is they are taking the original characters from the original series and they're saying, okay, we're going to completely, you know, foobar the old timeline and we're going to start something new with, with the original cast. Yet they're still going to pull guys from the old one and it's, it, it just doesn't work. And I don't know who in their right mind is the writers or whatever. Maybe, maybe they're too young. Like I said, maybe we're talking because of our age and, and they don't get it. But, you know, for me, these don't work. It just doesn't work. Um, but if you're not a Star Trek fan, if you don't know the timeline, if you're not part of the fandom, you don't know the universe, you know, it's an enjoyable movie. And for those, for those guys, I would say, you know, this is, this is a fun movie. It's, a, it's like an eight. But if you're a Star Trek, you know, fan like me, this movie's pretty much a five. And, and it's not taking away from the actors. It's not taking anything away from the special effects. It's taking away everything. I give it a five mainly because they've so foobarred the plot. It's just very difficult to watch because 
and I, and I know it's, I'm trying to put it in the words that I, and I'm sure, uh, some of our listeners out there that have followed, you know, the old Star Trek and the genre can appreciate what I'm saying, but it's just, it's just difficult to follow this because there's like this conflict and it's, it's very difficult to describe. But anyway, if you're a Star Trek fan, five. If you're not a Star Trek fan, an eight. An eight basically because you're walking in there not knowing any of these characters and it's a great spectacle, great sci-fi effects, or I'm sorry, great special effects, really good acting by everybody involved. I thought everybody that uh, was in this did a very good job. So, you know, from that standpoint, oh gosh, I mean, if you've never seen any of that stuff, oh, you're going to love this movie. Good stuff. And I think that's why it did very well in the box office, because I think they got a whole bunch of people that knew about Star Trek, went and saw it. Uh, I think the, you know, the real hardcore fandom went there and went, oh, good Lord, what the hell have you done? But you know what? We're a dying breed, folks. I mean, we're old. We're, you know, new generation moving on. So that's it. That's my review. Uh, if you guys want to have any uh, closing comments, please feel free. This movie was was not geared towards us. I think this is, was more geared towards trying to uh, maybe grab a, a new market of, uh, of of people and and then you know and, and proceed on from there. But trying to do justice to you know old material and a lot of homages they did and trying to you know uh, you know not a not offend old viewers. However, I don't think that I don't think it worked. Um, and with the terrible tropes I think that are in this movie. I think prequels are really played out, and I and I think that there's a, a level of just offensiveness to to old um, Star Trek fans and, and to the to the art of filmmaking itself and storytelling. I just think it's an, it's offensive movie, and and I I checked out. I checked out. I was cursing you guys for making me watch that movie. I swore I would never watch that movie, and about halfway through, I was I was angry. I was angry that I had to watch it. And but I stuck with it because I vowed I would, and I know you gave it a five, um, and I'm going to give it a, I'm going to give it a three, and say um, because I'm an uh, I'm an old fart now. Avoid this movie at all cost. Uh, never see this movie. <laughs> um, I rank it um, two places above Deep Blue Sea. Muncie, out. Wow, above Deep Blue Sea. Two spaces. <clears throat> two above Deep Blue Sea most horrible movie I've seen in the last decade because I saw Deep Blue Sea 11 years ago. It seemed like only yesterday. Yep. <laughs> it's still seared into my memory. It is. <laughs> All right, Ken, I'm afraid to hear what you have to say. Because, hell, I think you were like probably, uh, you were, boy, you were damn near driving when the series uh, was still in syndication. What? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but, well, you, you, you are right. For younger listeners... There is a point in the 70s and 80s where just because this was cheap for syndication, every time it seemed like it turned on TV, there it was. So, you know, if you grew up in that time frame, it was everywhere. It's very, very prevalent. But I did watch it. I mean, I can still remember, like, the first episode as a wee, wee little boy at my grandma's house. Because I can remember I'm watching this. My grandma was kind of freaking out, going like, ooh, this will make him scared. You know, he won't be able to sleep. So something like that. I'm going to give this, uh, I got mixed reviews on this. I've got to be realistic and say, I went and saw this with friends. The friends are, you know, pretty good, big Star Trek fans in their own right. I mean, it was with three of them. 
And they're all going like, oh, that was great. That was awesome. Really liked it. And I'm the only one, you know, sort of the odd man out. I'm like, that movie was not good. I did not like it. It did, did, it did weird things. It doesn't make sense. Uh, but they're going, oh, you can get past that. Look at this and look at that and look at him. And he did this. We touched on it. There's some good writing in this movie. It's state of the art CGI and special effects and scenes. Having said all that, the script just doesn't hang together in my opinion, as the guys have all touched on. They take, you know, characters and events and canon incidents and just mishmash it together. I think it actually shows a lack of respect for the material that they're working with. Uh, I mean, as I sort of touched on at the beginning, I mean, I think that there's a bunch of guys in Hollywood that just look at the entire Star Trek background as a corporate asset to be mined to maximize return on investment. And that's sort of a cold, heartless way of looking at it. But I get that feeling in this. So when it comes to giving it a, a rating, I'm going to give it a four. Yeah, pretty close. Mark, did you already have something to say? or? Um, I'll just tag a little bit on real quick. I think that this is just a continuing evidence of what, what Hollywood wants to crank out and what a lot of people in the general public want. And it, it just strikes me and no offense to anyone in this generation, but it just strikes me as the, as this Apple hipster generational kind of movie that doesn't have any depth, but has a lot of sequences strung together that don't think about them because it's all just about visual eye candy. And it's just about what looks cool or sounds cool. It's just mindless, uh, and it's too bad because there are there are elements that do hang together pretty well. There are some moments, and there are some good actors here. The effects are good, but there's no story, and I go back to what I said earlier. This is J.J. Abrams at his best. This is what he does, and that's not a compliment. Um, so God help Star Wars, and I'm right there with Ken. I will give this a four. But it's not a good movie, and if they're going to continue this franchise, hopefully they'll go mirror mirror, and they'll get, they'll get do a reboot of Mirror Mirror and return back to Star Trek because otherwise it's just going to go from bad to worse. But you know the thing of it is, is that this movie made money, didn't make a ton of money based on the IMDb summary. I mean, it made money, but in 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 terms of really hitting the bank. Not that much. And I think, you know, it's because you can only pull so many people into sci-fi movies. Because uh, we've always talked about that in the past. Sci-fi is a niche. It's a very niche uh, genre. Unless you're doing, you know, vampires or Transformer and stupid superhero movies. and By continuing to go back to the depleted minds of Star Wars and Star Trek, Hollywood is ignoring a lot of very good stories that would be very popular and possibly spawn their own sequels and such. Right. But they won't because they just keep going back to, again, beating this drum that's already been worn out. Well, who, who was our, our listener that basically gave us a similar review on our Facebook page? That was one of our very good dear friends, uh, Matt Wolski. Uh, yeah, pretty yeah. much, uh, he, he couldn't have said it better than we could. No, he, he pretty much, uh, he went to town on it. And I was just echoing his voice tonight. Yeah, pretty much. 
Uh, yeah, when he said, I, I have to say how much I hated, hated in caps, which means he was like screaming when he was typing. <laughs> Although it was funny though, he said he did enjoy the 2000 movie for what it was, uh, worth, but it was pointless, pointless rehash of, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I can't read here. He said he did enjoy the 2009 movie for what it was, but the pointless rehash of Wrath of Khan's ending, Spock acting like Rocky Balboa at the end. <laughs> That's actually kind of funny. Wow, that is funny. I, yeah, I, but you know, the thing of it is, I have to disagree with him. I mean, to me, this is definitely better than the 2009 version. I, to me, the 09 version, like I said, that, that one ended up in the dumpster pile. So anyway. We're going to close this bad boy out. So that is it, folks. That is it with the Man Cave Movie Review of this. I'm not even going to say Green Fantastic Film. I was just doing that because it's part of the repertoire. Old habits die hard. It is. It's very difficult. So we're going to move on. We are closing this bad boy out. So that is it for the Man Cave Movie Review, episode 113. Check us out on our website at mancavemovereview.com and look for us on iTunes at Man Cave Movie Review. Leave us a comment and tell us if you like the show or did not like it. And look for us on Stitcher and follow us at Twitter at Man Cave Movie. So until next week, I'm your host, Steve Michaels, signing off with my very good and dear friend, Mark. He's dead, Jim. Slover. Damn it, Michaels. That was our podcast. You just stunned our podcast. <laughs> Actually, I think that was Muncie that stunned the podcast, but very good comeback. I like it. All right, and also saying farewell, adieu and wiedersehen, is our other very good and dear friend, Ken. I'm giving her all she's got, Captain. Roni. Good night. You know, I almost forgot. You know where Scotty's from? Uh, technically, he's from, Simon Pegg is from England. But he's playing a guy from Scotland. And you know, if it's not Scottish, it's crap. And of all things to remember, it was that. To close it out. I just try to get it over with. You know, I was trying to speed it along just to get past because I was like, hasn't been a Scottish reference. Hasn't been a Scottish reference. We can make it. No. No. Nope, not all. And last and certainly not least is our other very good dear friend and our favorite penny on the rail, Jeff, you green-blooded, inhuman Muncie. Hey, Steve, you know, unfortunately, you never asked the rest of us what our favorite scenes were. Um, in this movie tonight, and I just wanted to go ahead and share my favorite scene in this, uh, uh, regarding this movie. And that was when the credits rolled at the end. You actually stayed that long. Uh, you know what? I can't tell you what happened <laughs> ten minutes before the credits ended. I can't tell you in that span of time what happened. I, <clears throat> I, I, I totally checked out. I, I don't even know what I was doing. I just know I wasn't paying attention to the movie. But I noticed when the credits rolled, and I said, I am done. And screw Steve Michaels is what I said. And son of a bitch, make me watch this movie. Well, considering I'm not the one that actually selected it, but that's okay. Yeah. I who, take who chose uh, this steaming pile of shit? Yeah, I hope y'all die. I take full responsibility. I'm like Harry Truman. The buck stops here, gentlemen. So anyway, that is it with Man Cave Movie Review, episode 113. I'm passing the buck on to everybody else. Hope you like the show. Here, you have a buck too, sir. And man, you have a buck. I don't want to have any bucks when this is left over. See y'all next week. Ciao.
Yo. I found a website that ranks the 36 American, cheap American beers mm-hmm. and, and gives them a description. Let me read the Bush description for you. Oh, okay. Bush. Aw, oh, come on. Bush isn't so bad. Let's say you're a stepdad, probably named Ron. And you're a bud man. Good living. Until your jet ski needs a new fuel pump. And you're fresh out of jet ski fuel pump cash. You think you're fucked. But then you realize you can just step it down to Bush for a few weeks and bang! Back in the lake. Now who's too cool for Bush? Wow. Thanks, Mark. Makes me feel better. Maybe maybe Steve could drink beers off of that list and then regale us with the the I readings will, of those. 